Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and you just got me today, so... um, I've been uh, having a lot of people for interviews, and they've been great, but had some thoughts I've been wrestling with and, and writing down and a bunch of things coming together, um, and so I just wanted to kind of talk about that. I, uh, I think in <clears throat> business and in life with family and friends and community and church and uh, man, with my kids and, and everything, um, the idea of vision has just continued to come up and trying to get on the same page with a lot of things, you know, turned 40 in December, just trying to think about my own life and, um, you know, what I want 50 to look like. And I look back on 30, um, and I remember turning 30 and thinking, man, you know, I've arrived, I'm an adult. And then now at 40, I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, am I an adult? Uh, so just trying to figure it out. And anyway, so, you know, just been thinking about vision. And so, um, what I realize in counseling is that a lot of people don't know how to cast vision. They don't have a vision. If you ask them what their vision is for their life, um, they don't even know what that means. And so, um, one of the things I always think about is Psalm twenty nine eighteen. It says, "Without vision, the people perish; um, <clears throat> they fall apart." And so, it's interesting how God calls us to think about the end result of something so that we don't fail. He wants us to think about our vision. He wants us to think about the things in our life and how we're going to achieve them. Um, but so many of us, especially right now in American culture, fly through life just checked out, um, numb to things, waiting to entertain ourselves at the end of the day, um, you know, just getting from our eight to five job and getting in the house and getting the kids fed and getting things put down. Or or maybe you're older and your kids are out of the house and you find yourself just kind of being lost in the entertainment and the television and the Netflix, you know, but we're doing that to our detriment and to our death. And our lives are so busy and so full of noise. And I would say also pain. I mean, just we're so, everything's so loud. Everything's coming at us constantly. And in 2023, we're just constantly bombarded by media messages and um 
and all sorts of things. And then I think many of us are just constantly in pain, emotional pain, physical pain. I mean, our bodies are getting older. We're, we're, uh, on our way, um, to the grave in some sense, like not to be despairing, but like, are we, that's, you know, that's the, that's the thing. Our bodies are, the older we get, the, <clears throat> the more we lose our, our functioning and we're not as good as we once were. And so, in all of this, I think it's just chaos. And so we, we get caught in just survival mode or in just numbing out. And we don't stop to think about 10 years from now or 50 years from now, we don't have a long-term plan. I know a lot of, one of the big issues in our culture financially is that is, you know, we met met with a financial advisor a couple of weeks ago and we were just talking through, you know, our plans and where we're going to invest and, and starting. And you just get kind of uh, deer in the headlights overwhelmed with, with all of it. And I remember doing Dave Ramsey and he has a little chart where, you know, if you invest at 18, a certain amount of money, um, you put it in a Roth IRA or something and it gets a percentage. By the time you're 65, you have like $2 million. But if you do that, like if I started that now at 40, I'm going to have like $2,000. It's something drastic like that. It's, it's crazy when you invest later. And so what happens is, is we freeze. We, we think, oh man, what's the point now? I'm just going to keep riding this out. And so many of us uh, don't even really have a belief that we can have what we want. We don't even we don't even know that we can achieve goals. Maybe we've been told our whole lives that that we can't do it, that we can't live up to expectations. And our lives are filled with so much failure and heartache and suffering and past traumas that hoping or believing um, is not our first instinct because we don't want to be disappointed again. We don't want to be let down. <clears throat> but I think as believers, our lives have to be focused on two things. Uh, it's got to be all about the return of Jesus and keeping our eyes on him. We have to to live our lives for his return while simultaneously, which is the difficult part, while at the same time we're not to worry about tomorrow and only focus on today. So dwelling in the future, thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen in 50 years, what's going to happen with my kids, all of that stuff leads, at least me and most of my clients, to anxiety and fear. And so it's like, how do we how do we have a vision and think about the future and plan for that and, and not be crumbled under the pressure and the weight of all the things that could go wrong? But dwelling on the past and our shame and our depression and, and all the things that we've done and, and our mistakes and the past failures and experiences with other people... What that does is that leads us to shame and depression. So we not, we can't just um, think hopefully, right? We can't we can't just be people who are like, well, hopefully I get the job, <clears throat> hopefully the girl likes me, hopefully this marriage works out, hopefully you know I'll get over this depression, hopefully Jesus is going to return, hopefully God can cure my sickness. But as Christians, as Christ followers, we want to hope fully. There's a, there's a big difference, right? There's a big difference in, well, hopefully Jesus is going to come, come back and hoping fully that he will, acting as if we, we believe it. And, and most of the writers of the New Testament, especially Paul and John, they all the way up to their death, they wrote expecting him to come back like that day. And the disciples, you know, they thought he was going to come back within their lifetime. And they hoped fully that that would happen. So we, we have to love each other with such conviction and belief that God is good and his promises are going to come to pass. We have to hope fully in the return of Christ. We have to be expectant and excited each day. We have to get up with that, that mind state. And that that's hard to do in a world that's constantly combating that. And in a world where 
you know, Scripture says the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and evil forces. And so these these things are real, and they're going to attack you, and they're going to take you on. And so this has to be the vision for our lives, this combination. One of living in the moment, living in the present with others, while at the same time expecting, being excited about what Christ is going to do, and he's going to return and restore all things with, with that hope in mind. And, and we have to build businesses and communities around that. So how can we build a business or a community without vision? So I was listening to this thing the other day, and <clears throat> Jordan Peterson, if you don't uh, know who he is, he's a clinical psychologist. And, and again, I don't agree with all the things that he believes, but this part was good. He was asking questions, and he said, um, you know, he was asking some questions to find vision. So think about these things. Maybe, you know, I know some of you write down notes when you listen, but, you know, if you could have what you wanted, what would that be? If you could have what you wanted, what would that be? Would it be material wealth? Would it be a new car? Would it be prestige? A healthy relationship with your kids? Sobriety? Relief from mental pressure and strain? Right? So if, if you could have what you wanted, dream about that. Think about what that is. Write that down. The question then is, what should you want? Right? What is success to you? What do you believe about God, yourself, and other people? Is what I want and what you want healthy and will it lead me to joy for not only me but those around me and what should you want in a manner and what you necessarily need right so what is it that that you want and is it what you need Jesus tells you know the disciples come to Jesus they say tell us how to pray he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. <clears throat> and I remember a long time ago hearing this message on why Jesus taught them to pray that way. And it's, it's about perspective. You know, our Father who art in heaven. Well, one, he's our Father. So he's, he's not just mine. He's Chip's. He's JC's. He's CJ's. He's my friends around me. He's their Father as well. And we're brothers and sisters and he's our dad, our father. Um, and the word there is Abba, or our close father. And he's in heaven, right? He's, he's everywhere. He's looking down. He's in a holy place. Hallowed is his name. His name is good. It's worthy. It's magnificent. It's trustworthy. Your kingdom come, right? So we're asking for his kingdom to come on earth. Your will be done. So God, let it, let your will be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. So let us bring the kingdom of earth or the kingdom of heaven to earth now. And then it says, give us this day our daily bread. And and daily bread is a need. It's not a want. It's a thing we have to have, right? We we have to have it. In another passage, it says that, we, you know, uh, Jesus is talking to Satan and he's telling him to make a rock bread. And he says, you know, man does not live on bread alone, but from every, every good gift that comes from the Father above. And so when we think about what we want, we have to ask, is it what we actually need? And when we pray in that way, when we get that perspective of who God is to us, how good he is, how consistent he is, and what the purpose of our life is, then that changes what we think we need versus what we want. And then after thinking about that, write down, then what arises, right? What comes out of that, but what, what is um, part of what you, you know, have to figure out is, is the question of what, what should you want and need that you can have with other people? 
So not just what you want to need as an individual, but how can you have that and share that with your kids and your wife and your friends and your community? It's that kind of adage of we don't, we don't want to gain the whole world and lose our soul and forfeit it. So outside of friends and family to laugh and celebrate, what's the point of achieving all of these things? How does that play into your vision? So if you, you take a moment and think through these questions, that's how you come up with a vision. You have to actually kind of articulate that and, and, and run it down, not just, oh, I want this, or this sounds like a good idea, or, you know, man, I want to make a thousand million dollars later, or man, I want to be a speaker, or man, I want to have five kids. Like you can want all of that, but is it best for you? And is it going to bring other people joy and be good for the community that you're in? And then the question becomes, once you have that, how, how do you conduct yourself? How do you live your life so that that vision is achievable? Because our beliefs shape our thoughts and feelings, which shape our actions. So our beliefs shape our actions, which shape our behaviors. And so what we believe about God and ourselves and other people is going to get us to that vision and how we conduct ourselves and how we live our lives and how we set those things up, how we build this kind of staircase to the top is going to let us know if our vision is even achievable. <laughs> I recently read, um, well, I read, read a book, a ruthless elimination of hurry three or three or four years ago by John Mark Homer. If you haven't read it, you should read it. It's amazing. But his kind of premise is that, uh, Jesus was always busy, but never in a hurry. So he had time. Um, and, and so that's kind of the concept of, of casting vision and figuring this stuff out is that, you know, life is going to be crazy no matter what, it's, especially in the American culture. It's going to be crazy busy, but we don't have to be in a hurry. And recently I read um, Redeeming Your Time. I can't remember the author's name, um, but it gives you a very practical way of changing your life and, and putting do not disturbs on your phone and checking emails at certain times and, and prioritizing your yeses and letting your yeses be a yes and, and these beautiful things. So if you haven't read that one, man, definitely go read that. Um, but all of that kind of culminated in, in this thought process for me is that in order to achieve my vision for my business, for my kids, for my family, for my community, like God is very obvious that there's times where you have to take a break and slow down that you have to curate what's most important. And if you don't believe that that's important, if you believe that, you know, success is busyness and, and struggle and, and, um, you know, hustle and, and just driving yourself into the ground, then, then every, you're not going to achieve what you want unless that, that want is something that's not good for you and those around you. So let's get practical for a second. Let, let's say your vision is a good marriage. That's an easy one or, or, you know, a real deep community. For if the vision right at the top of the, the staircase is good marriage, what are the steps that must be on the staircase that are going to carry you to the highest point of success in completing your vision? Are we even mindful about that? Are we mindful about the steps that we can skip over or the steps that we have to take? You know, sometimes you run, you run up a stairs and you know, you leap to the third step or maybe your foot slips on a step and you almost hit your knee like, Stairs are not the easiest things to walk up. You'd think they'd be easier. But the reality is that even in a normal staircase, there can be error if you're not paying attention, if you're not slowing down, if you haven't wiped your feet, if you're, if you're not looking at the surface. There are all kinds of things that can distract you and take you from getting to the top. And then you have to ask, are those steps leading us to the vision we started out with, right? Because now if you're, you've built this staircase and you're walking up it and 
trying to get to the top, but maybe the vision's changed. So we have to check in with that. So let's let's look at a new uh, a marriage vision. Let's let's list a few steps right that'll firmly carry us upward towards a healthy marriage. Well, if you want to have a good marriage, one of the things is you have to take your wife's vision into account. So it's a shared vision, right? This we're not alone. We're not. God said it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for people to be alone and isolated. We need shared vision. We need people arm in arm walking beside us. Jesus says to get under His yoke, right? And so we He wants to carry this yoke with us. It's still a yoke. It's still heavy. There's still things we have to do. So that's the first thing. So you know, ask yourself: Have I have I talked to people about my vision? Do they know my goals? Does my family know why I'm doing this and why I'm striving so hard for this? You know, another step would be to have playfulness in your marriage and love and mutual respect and being able to show genuine care in times of stress. You know, being stable enough so we can rely on one another, a prayer together, mutual submission, a desire to serve one another, a healthy sex life, honesty, integrity, speaking highly of one another to others, sacrifice, a desire to grow and be grown by our partner. And lastly, the ability to take responsibility for the pain we cause in marriage. These are all steps that get us towards a vision that is a healthy marriage, that help us get to the top. And if you take some of those things out, can you climb? Absolutely. Is it going to be more difficult? Yes. You may have to jump some spaces, and there might be some more slips, and it may be difficult. You might have some skin knees and be banged up. But the more deeply we take the necessity for our vision, the more it integrates and the longer term it becomes. So the more we think about it deeply and we know, gosh, this is just, I have to have a good marriage. I have to have a good community. I have to take care of my physical and emotional health. Then the more it's going to be a part of your daily life, a part of your daily vision, your micro vision, let's say. And then the longer it's going to become, like the longer you're going to be able to do it, you can sustain it if it's a daily part of your life. But if you don't even know you have a vision for certain things and you don't even know what the steps are, then none of these things are maintainable. In a, in a simpler way, like how important is your vision to you? How important is it? Because I think people say, oh, I want a good marriage. I, I want to be financially stable. I want to get in shape. But then they don't apply themselves. I know I don't, and I don't always apply myself to those things. And then I'm disappointed when I didn't get to the top. How, how important is it? to reach our goal at the end? And what state do we want to be in when we get there? That's another question, right? If our goal is heaven, if our goal is to be with God, what what state do we want to be when we get there? And Paul talks about us running this race, and, and I was telling somebody the other day, you know, a lot of times I, I, I get frustrated when my vision doesn't get achieved, but I, I truly want to, at the end of my life, be wrung out, be exhausted, look back and go, man, that was difficult, but it was so good. So what, what state will those around us be in is another question to ask, you know? So if I, if I just run the race and I think, okay, uh, it makes me think of, uh, I went over to Istanbul a few years ago and went and met at this school. It was a bunch of missionary kids. And unfortunately, you know, the, the parents were spending so much time going from Istanbul to other countries and doing mission work that the kids were all kind of a mess. And they would, several of them said to me, um, I just wish my parents would engage with me and my dad would be home and, and engage with me, right? So I'm sure their parents had good intentions to go out and minister and love other people and share the gospel. But their first and primary 
all of our first and primary place to share the gospel is in our home with our kids. And so if we get to the end of the road and we, we've quote unquote, our vision is reaching the lost, but yet we've lost the people that are closest to us, then that vision might not be going through those steps we talked about earlier being good for us and good for those around us. And then what will we sacrifice and maybe what are we sacrificing to get there? Right? You hear about athletes who sacrifice everything to get, you know, gold medal. They sacrifice dating and marriage and kids and, and all of the things of life and all the pleasures. And in some ways that's incredible. It's like, wow, you put off all these things to be able to, to win that gold in the Olympics. You, you know, gave up your entire life to become a very good baseball player so that you could go and, you know, be famous and make tons of money and, and hit a ball. And at the end of the day, you lost your family. Now I'm not saying that's a, you know, a bad choice. I'm just saying that did, did they think about that when it started? Did they think about playing 200 games a year and how that would affect them and the people around them? Because I don't know too many very successful, highly successful, quote unquote, successful in the world view that we have people who also are emotionally intelligent and have great relationships with their families. There are some, but a lot of the celebrities and the people who are professionals and the people who sacrificed it all to win, they get the cheers and the applause from all of us who don't know them and don't have to live with them and don't have to eat at the table with them at night. But what they sacrificed on the altar of that, it's not something I want to. So uh, it's important to have a clear vision. The, the clearer the vision, the more it shapes our day-to-day -day actions. So I'd ask you, just take some time this week and, and write down a vision statement for three or four of the most important things in your life. Maybe it's your, your parenting, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your health, maybe it's your mental health. Just what, what do you want that to look like? What's the vision for that? What, let's set it at the top of the stairs and then think about what are the steps that I need to get there. A lot of people say, oh, I don't have to have a vision for everything, and, and that may be true. But the reality is, is that really it's just a bunch of micro plans, right? I mean, if you need to eat healthy, you have to have a plan. You have to plan out your meals or you're going to stop doing it and you're going to get fast food, right? You're going to, if you don't plan on the weekend to, to have four or five meals and eat healthy, then life goes on and, and the plan falls apart. And so you had this vision of, oh yeah, I'm going to eat healthy. I want to look good in a swimsuit by the summer. Um, Ashley, our dietitian, will be mad at me for saying that. It's not about your body size. You should be comfortable with your body size. I'm not saying that, but that's what we do, right? We're like, you know, I want to, I want to feel good about myself. So I want to be able to take my shirt off and love myself. Not because other people like me or look at me and think I'm awesome, but because I want to feel comfortable. That's a good vision. We have that vision and we, and we start on it. We start watching what we eat. We start exercising. We maybe come to see a dietitian and get in a healthy routine but man, we stop at Cane's every other day because we forgot to cook on the weekend. These are things that happen to all of us. So we have a vision of, of being healthy, but we, we're not taking the proper steps and we're not setting ourselves up for success to get there. So when we do that over and over, the question that comes up is, is the vision for your health really that important then? Because it seems like there are things that are getting prioritized over it. And so then we have to ask, are the steps achievable 
And is the vision and reasoning clear? Because maybe we haven't been clear about our vision. And if we keep perishing, then the answer is that those things, the answer to those things may be no, that we don't have a vision. It's, it's not clear. Now, I have been king of this, but some people move ahead with no plans or no vision. But this, this brings total disorder. You know, I, I've personally seen this in my life um, in some regards because of just trauma and history. And so why is that? Well, trauma can cause us to be afraid of success or calling our shot. You know, Babe Ruth was so confident he would point and call a shot and swing the baseball bat and hit a home run. The confidence that took, and some would say arrogance, is crazy. But he did it. But we're so afraid of being prideful that we're not confident. And so what we do is we flutter around with these little micro visions that are inconsistent and they disorient us and they cause chaos and disorder. And these visions, these little tiny visions, they crash together and cause despair and conflict. If we do not look at the roots of our behaviors and the foundational beliefs that follow these behaviors, we will never be able to reach our goals. I know I personally sometimes fear, you know, abandonment or fear that I'm going to be misunderstood. And I have a vision of being a good leader and running our business well and doing all those things. But sometimes, especially in the past, in the beginning, I allow my, my fear and insecurities to take me in directions that I didn't see were not leading me to the vision God gave me. And it's not usually until chaos or disorder happens that we see like, man, we're far off the path. And so we have to reorient and we have to stop and go, okay, where, where did I get off? We have to have the humility to say, okay, here's some things I need to put in place. Here's some things we need to change. Here's some risks I need to take. Which brings me to my next point. It's so important to share your vision with other people that are around you and allow them to help mold and shape it. So I'm having to learn to bring people in and say, hey, man, I need you to be over this thing. Hey, we need another administrator for this. Hey, hey, wife, I need you to come in and help me in these areas that I'm not good at and strong in and, and support that so that we're all being successful in the vision. But when we don't have a shared vision, it gets crazy. For example, like, you know, sometimes people are like, I really want a really nice house or I want to take three vacations a year or, you know, but the other partner doesn't want that. Or you've never even talked about it. It's not important to them. Well, then all the hard work and money provided is going to lead to conflict and chaos. What if one person wants to work to <laughs> work towards a retirement filled with travel and isolation? Right? They, they just want to kind of sit and chill and read books and you know, go on their own and, and not really be around people while the other person wants to work towards a retirement surrounded by community and service and being engaged, this is going to lead to destruction. And that road, that staircase is going to be littered with chaos and heartache. The steps will be different for each desired outcome, and we will be climbing different paths every day without even knowing it. Too many of us are afraid to ask each other Ask our bosses, ask our kids if we share the same vision and fear that they're going to say no, that they're going to say no, we, we actually don't, aren't going the same way. We're going to be confused when our partner constantly stumps their toes trying to walk on the steps they can't see that we've set before them. Many times this is where conflict and fights happen in relationships. And if you're a conflict avoider, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
Some people put off addressing issues because they don't want to hurt others' feelings. Or they don't want to truly find out what the other person is believing or thinking about them. But it's better to deal with it, to find out. So maybe today you, you, know, you could start by writing down some of your little micro-visions that are getting in the way. And then what steps you got to take to achieve them. But then we have to take all those micro-visions and collect them into a macro-vision. We have to be intentional about creating the same staircase to the same vision with the people around us. If we do not, then we're going to become incoherent. We're not going to know what's going on. And, and incoherence leads to anxiousness and all the forms of hopelessness because you don't have any meaning or shared meaning with other people. If you have no meaning, you lose positive emotions because having a noble vision and meeting le leads to positive emotions and hope. In my clinical practice, I see a lot of people who have no meaning in their life. They work jobs they hate. They make money they spend on nonsense. They're trying to earn the approval of their parents or their spouses or their employer, all to get let down. And then they get up the next day and rinse and repeat. This sometimes is the problem with many of us that claim to be Christ followers. We forget what the purpose and meaning of life is. We forget the vision. As I said earlier, Paul calls it this grueling and awful race to the end. Jesus tells us there will be suffering and that the world will hate us because we love him. And yet for myself, I know that I, I tend to find myself chasing the comfortable, the easy. And I think for a lot of us, American Christianity has turned into that. It's We're busting our butts without any vision, taking steps that don't lead us to the end, exhausted, and so we come home and all we want to do is entertain ourselves and check out and veg out. And then when things don't go well or there's conflict, we feel slighted, we feel that life's unfair, we feel like people are out to get us. This is why the psalm said, without vision my people perish, because we forget what the purpose of our lives are. And guess what then? Not only is that going on, but the devil comes in and he lies. He gets all in the mix. And he tells us that we're never enough, never will be enough. And all the hard, difficult things that are happening are our fault and we deserve them. This is usually because we have experienced real life trauma and drama in our family. We've had parents that intentionally or unintentionally taught us that our worth and value comes from what we can do and how we can provide and how we can perform and how we can earn their love. We hear that God's love is unconditional, but we are never truly used to experiencing it. So we don't have a vision that this pain has purpose and that we're going to get through it. We have a vision that says these things are happening to us because of something we did. And again, if we, if we do have a vision, right, if we, we think we have a vision, it's a lot of times an earthly one. We need to be reminded that all of this needs to be in light of eternity with Christ. Scripture tells us to count it joy when we suffer. We're not going to be able to do that if we do not have proper vision and proper belief that shapes this vision. One of the main things that we're doing is doing it all alone. God never wanted us to do this alone. He wants us to be on the same page with our friends, our family, and our community. A shared vision leads to resiliency in the face of tragedy, mortality, and death. When bad things happen, when we realize 
that we're only human. When someone dies, we need community. Many people spend time avoiding creating a vision because this means we have to face the darkness and the brokenness of ourselves, our friends, and our spouses. We know that if we go deeper and build vision together, we'll have to deal with the pain, suffering, and imperfection on lots of levels as we try to go to the top of the stairs. This is why many people say they want deep community, they want to be known, they want to have close relationships, but we never take the steps to get there. Many of us walk around thinking that if someone really knew me, if they knew what I'd done, they wouldn't love me. If they knew my failures and my faults, they wouldn't stay. Or, not any of us that listen to this podcast, but some people think they don't have any failures, they don't have any faults. That it's everybody else's fault, that it's everybody else's circumstances that keep bringing them down, and if everybody would just do the right thing and do what they do, then things would be fine. But these thought processes, these things, these fears, these are the dragons we must face. The fears and imperfections of others and of ourselves. We will never truly be loved and feel loved until someone knows the good and the bad and loves us anyway. This is the ultimate message of the gospel, that that God knows you best, knows your ins and outs and imperfections and screw-ups and failures and thought processes and all the twisted-up things, and yet He loves you the most. When we go to church and we go to community and we go to marriage and we go to friends and we keep the masks on, and, and one of the steps to get to our vision is is keeping secrets and keeping the mask on, then, then we never truly feel open and loved and valued because we, we go back to that if they really knew. But if one of the steps to achieving your vision is openness and congruence and honesty and integrity and vulnerability, then yeah, people are going to see your mess-ups, they're going to see your screw-ups, but it's also going to give them the opportunity to love you anyway, and then there's no doubt in if they love you because they stay, they stuck around in spite of ourselves. And that's what God does. That's what God did. That, that's what he does. He sticks around in spite of us. We fear facing our dragons in the caves they live in, but we wait around until they're flying around, breathing fire all around us. It's better to face them where they live than give them the surprise attack. If we face the possibilities of the catastrophes in our lives, On our terms, we can fortify our ability to make it to our goals and complete our journey with peace. If we walk in humility with one another and accept the fact that conflict, imperfection, and sin are going to come up against us in our community, then we can keep climbing together. This agreement, this, this choice, has to be a part of the vision of any good relationship, even our relationship with God. We can't have an agreement that says, God, I'm going to follow you and then everything's going to go good. Wife, I'm going to follow you and you're going to serve me and treat me a certain way and then things are going to go good. The agreement can't be based on perfection because it's not going to go that way. One of the things I love, it's Lent right now, and a lot of people do this during Lent, um, but it's the Stations of the Cross, and you might not know what that is, but it's a great example of facing our suffering, of facing the dragon in the face and, and looking at the hard things. And it allows you to face, you know, the brutal suffering of Christ that many of us are going to face in life. 
So the Stations of the Cross, for those that don't know, are, are also called the the Way of the Cross. It's like a 14-picture carving. Um, sometimes it's um, pictures on the wall. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, around in an area. They set them up outside. But um, these pictures are the events of the Passion of the Christ, from his condemnation by Pilate to his um, being put in the tomb. So the series uh, kind of go like this. Jesus is condemned to death. He's made to bear the cross. He falls for the first time. He meets his mother. The, uh, Simon picks up the cross and bears it for him. Uh, Veronica wipes Jesus' face. He falls the second time. The woman of Jerusalem weep over Jesus. He falls the third time. He's stripped of his garments. He's nailed to the cross. He dies on the cross. He's taken down from the cross. And lastly, he is placed in the tomb. It's traditional for people to kind of walk through each one of these things and do a devotion and, and visit each step and kind of look at what Jesus went through and how that relates to their own life. When we go through the stations of the cross, this is something that we're all going to have to face at some point in our time. All this abandonment, this fear, this failure, the need for someone to help us, our, our parents weeping, our friends weeping. In life, there are stations that we all go through that we're going to have to face. But we fear facing these things. We do not prepare ourselves for the battle that's to come. So ask yourself today, what are, what are the things in marriage or life that you say, I could never survive if it happened? Right, I've said that before. I, you know, I, If my kids passed away, I don't know if I can make it. If my wife passed away, I don't know if I can make it. And then I have to face it. And as a clinician, I've worked with people who have lost those, those things. <laughs> And I've watched the courage and the, and the strength and the humility and the suffering that comes with surviving something that I myself think I could never survive. And when we face it and we deal with it, we can survive it. We must think about these scary things and discuss them together. We must, this must be a part of our discipleship and our world and our community and our life. It, it can't just be superficial fluff all the time. We need to think through what, what would make us resilient enough to face the greatest fears we have. And we have to have a vision for when we face them. Because in life, we are most likely going to face those greatest fears at some point. Without vision, and especially shared vision, then everything collapses and God's people will perish. So what's the thing we're unwilling to face because of our fallibility and our experiences in the past that are built on these false narratives. Is this an affair? Is it being hurt again? Is it losing a child? Is it getting cancer? Is it our own moral failure? What is it that we're so terrified to look at? Because if this dra great dragon attacks and we haven't built any resiliency for who we are and who we want to be or how we're going to prevail against these things that get in our way and stop our vision, how are we going to reach the top? This is really an identity issue. What is your identity founded on? One of the questions I have for us is, is our identity founded on the attention we devote to the worst possible outcomes? Are we the pessimist? Are we the, the glass half empty person? Do we focus so much on what could happen, the bad, the bad, the bad? Or are we a, a glass half full person? Are we just kind of laissez-faire and every problem that comes up and every issue, we're like, oh, it's going to just work out. I think, I think both are true. I think you know we need balance. 
bad things are going to happen, but also we have to have a perspective and we have to find people in our communities that have a little bit more of one side or the other and, and work together to speak truth and life over each other. The more capable we are of comprehending and understanding the catastrophes in our lives with our eyes fully open, fully aware, fully mindful, the better we face the catastrophe and the atrocities of life when they happen. We're not surprised by them. We're not taken back by them. They hurt. They're difficult. They're miserable. But they're not coming out of nowhere. One of the reasons PTSD is so common and, and difficult to deal with is because it's the, it's the out-of-left-field experience. But these struggles and these setbacks are the, are the broken stairs that can keep us from our vision. And our beliefs and our foundational structures of how we do our life and how we live daily, the little small steps that lead to the big things, will either catapult us forward or send us falling backwards to the bottom. This is how we walk in joy and peace in light of suffering and pain. We have a vision for the return of Christ and the promises he made. And we walk with our shoulders back and our chins up, taking the brokenness of life with an understanding and a purpose that transcends the pain, that has meaning, and that gets us to our vision. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and guide us. And we never can take our eyes off Jesus. He is our vision and he is our goal. His kingdom and purposes surpass all earthly desires and dreams. It's funny, I heard a thing the other day talking about Peter, and it says Peter asked Jesus to help him walk on the water. And I was like, really? And I reread it, and it's like, yeah, Peter asked Jesus to help him walk on the water. That was like his prayer request. Jesus didn't ask Peter to walk on the water. Peter like jumps up as Peter does and says, hey, you know, you, you tell me I can, and I'm going to get out there. All Jesus said was, come. So Peter walks out on the water with his eyes focused on Jesus. And we tend to be really good at that. We start out strong doing our ministries and our marriages and our parenting. And we, we have this vision and this thing we're running towards focused on Jesus. And miracles happen, man. We, we make it through. But once the prayer request is answered, we start sinking. And we take our eyes off Jesus and we put it on us and we put it on the fears of the world and, and the things that the devil's throwing in front of us and the doubts and the past and all these things. We have to remember that we have to keep our focus and our eyes on Christ, even after the miracles happen, because he is the one who is holding us up. If climbing the steps to reach our vision is dependent on us, then we've already lost. Yes, there are things we have to do. Yes, we have to work. Yes, we have to get out there and grind. Yes, we have to read our Bibles and pray and, and have discipline. We want to work hard, but we are not required to work to earn God's love. His love propels us to work harder to bring the kingdom here, hoping fully for the return of Christ and the redemption of all these things. When we share this vision with our wife and our children and our community, our husbands, our friends, then we can face the heartache and hardships of life together. I've been feeling this stirring. I want something deeper. I want something more in our Christian communities, in our churches, in my life. I want to experience the Holy Spirit more. I want, to, I want to look like Acts. I want to look so differently from this American Christianity thing. And I want the people that we work with here to, to see the contrast and see that it's so much better when that's the vision. I want you, whoever's listening to this, to, to know that you can do that too, that you can have an incredible life, but you have to curate it. You have to stop 
falling victim to the lies that the world's telling you and, and getting caught up in the, the race and the rat race for things that you build a ladder to climb another ladder. You get to the top and there's another ladder and it, you just keep going. And there's no peace and contentment. There's no joy. It's just struggle and entertainment and numbing. But this means we have to have commitment. We have to have commitment to one another and shared visions with the people around us. And so that gets awkward when you challenge people, when you when you ask people to be invested and, and you talk about hard things and heavy things. And some people are going to walk away from that. They walked away from Jesus. Some people aren't going to get it. And you just have to tell yourself, those aren't, my, those aren't my people. My people are the ones who want to go deep, who want to grow, who want to learn. I, I know people don't just listen to this podcast because... You know, it's a murder mystery that's exciting. I know that the people who listen to this this podcast want to grow. I know you want to grow. I know you want to go deeper with Christ. You want to go healthier in your mental health. I know you want community and desire connection. And you can have it. We can have it. We just have to work really hard. And for me, I'm doing that for my kids. I'm doing that to to hand off, to to give them something. So I'm choosing that every day. I'm, I'm curating my life to make certain people and activities priority. I'm curating my life to be open and lay down pride and ego and insecurity. I'm trying to curate my life in a way that I'm laying down my desires and hopes and asking people to join me as I walk towards a shared vision of community. That way I can give that to my children, right? I'm 40. I'm, I miss some of that. I'm too far behind. Culture's moving ahead. But let's hope I live another 42 years, and let's hope that the thing we're building here at Clint Davis Counseling and with this podcast and with our influence, our community influence, our sphere of influence, that other people can latch onto that. And there are other people in the world, obviously, having these conversations. There's some of those books that I mentioned. Those are pastors. You know, Jeannie Alley's new book, um, Find Your People. My wife read that and we were talking through it the other day. Everybody's yearning, you know, the... Re- um, Revival at Asbury. The, the Holy Spirit's moving in in wanting the church, wanting the Christian communities to get back to their roots. I always want to sing Garth Brooks whenever I say something like that. Blame it all on my roots. Um, we've got to do it. You may not live in my city. You may not be around me, right? We're not all going to be able to be best friends. And honestly, I think trying to have too many best friends is part of the problem. We We have, you know... 40 people and 60 people and a thousand people that we feel equally responsible to have coffee with, have dinner with quote unquote, do life together because we go to the same church or we go to the same school and it's just impossible. And we freeze because we feel like we have to do all this stuff. So all I'm saying is let's, let's slow down and let's curate a small community of believers within a bigger community of believers. And let's grow out of that. I hope that this is helpful. I hope that it opens discussions for you in your life and challenges you and your family to find a vision so that we, we feel stable and then we're not swayed and moved by the world and its guidance or by our fears and doubts, but that we listen to the Holy Spirit and we can be clear about our goals and directions with those around us as we all just kind of try to figure out what God's doing in our lives. He is going to return soon. Jesus is going to return soon. But in the meantime, our job is to bring heaven to earth. Scripture says to seek first the kingdom of heaven and all will be added. 
So when it comes to vision, let's make sure we're climbing to the right destination so that we all don't perish along the way. I hope this is helpful. I love you guys. Um, thank you for listening. One of the things I would love for those that uh, are avid listeners is just, you know, help us by sharing the content. You know, I don't usually ask you guys to do that. I don't really ask you to follow and click and like and all that stuff, but it'd be helpful because I feel like this is information that other people are yearning for and, and wanting and, and longing to hear. And so, you know, just share it. Um, go to our Facebook page or Instagram page, follow that stuff. I'm always posting and trying to encourage people in a really unhealthy culture uh, to do healthy things. And so if this is encouraging to you and helpful to you, just share it with your friends, share it um, with your family, have hard conversations, cast vision together. Thank you and God bless. Have a good week.